Feelin Film Plus is a place where our passions lead to conversation. You'll find discussion on movies, documentaries, television, anime, books, video games, and more. If we love it, we'll talk about it. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Feelin Film Plus. I'm Patrick, and with me is my good friend and fellow podcaster, Francisco Ruiz. On this episode, we will be talking about what has come to be known as a sweet spot of storytelling for me, documentaries, and one in particular by the name of The King of Kong. Welcome to the show, Francisco. Hey, Pat. Thanks so much for having me. Glad to have you on. You know, I got a fistful of quarters here. So <laughs> I'm good to go. Francisco, the master of the subtitle. Is that what the subtitle <laughs> Yeah, I think that's what that's called. <laughs> yeah, I think it's the the after colon. Yes. <laughs> like we have afterthoughts, and we have after colons here. <laughs> <laughs> Before we get into the discussion, though, uh, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself, your show, and anything else that our listeners may not know about you? Sure. Uh, so I am. Uh, my name is Francisco Ruiz. Like Pat said, uh, I hasn't am changed. A... That's good. Yeah, yeah. In the last <laughs> minute, it has not changed. Anyway, my, I'm a web and graphic designer by trade. I'm also a podcaster. I do a show with my good friend Paul Powers uh, called the Retro Rewind Podcast, where we take a fresh look at movies and video games that are 15 years or older and talk about whether pretty much if they still hold up today or if they don't. So it's a lot of fun. We've had Patch on the show. He's been on for several episodes now, and uh, it's always a fun conversation uh, talking about these old movies and video games. And then I guess I'll say I live in Oregon. So that's cool. <laughs> it's starting to be spring here, so that's nice. I'm a Leo, though I'm not really into, uh, what's it called? Not Astrology. Genealogy. Astrology, yeah, thank you. Astronomy? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not into geography, okay? Uh, but yeah, that, that's me. Right. Oh, I'm also a husband and dad. That's, hey. that's important. Those are good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad to have you on the show. This is actually my first time uh, getting to do a, a Feelin' Film Plus episode. So, so yeah, like, like I said before, we're going to be talking about The King of Kong, uh, a documentary that, uh, that you and I both enjoyed. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, <laughs> well, okay. Let, let me not, I don't want to <laughs> spoiler alert, spoiler alert. So speaking of spoilers, this is a full on spoiler discussion. Although I don't really know if there are spoilers for a documentary because it's real life. <laughs> it's, you can read about it, <laughs> but, uh, so just giving you fair warning, if you haven't seen the documentary, go check it out because the things we'll be talking about will be things that you might be scratching your head thinking, I didn't know that took place. And hence the reason you should watch it. This is officially from the IMDb page. The film synopsis goes like this. Named, quote, video game player of the century in 1999, Billy Mitchell sets a record score in Donkey Kong that many felt would never be broken. In 2003, Steve Wiebe, who has recently lost his job, learns about the record, sets out to beat it, and does. So both men embark on a cross-country battle for inclusion in the 2007 Guinness Book of World Records as the supreme king of the electronic game. (laughs) (laughs) As as you guys do on your show, that would be accurate, although (laughs) from a memory mind meld synopsis, I would probably give that the inception. Because... As a viewer, it definitely hit all points, but 
I walked away, and I, I wanted to kind of start the conversation by asking you this, mm-hmm. your, your initial takeaway from the documentary. Like, when we think about documentaries, we think about information, we think about here are the people that we're talking about, here's what happened in their lives, here's the event that took place, mm-hmm. here's some cool music, here's a great little montage maybe here and there. Did this hit the points of a documentary that you were used to? I would say it definitely did hit the points of a documentary, at least what I'm looking for when I watch a documentary. I'm not certainly the documentary auteur that you are, Patch, but I do enjoy, for topics I'm interested in, I really like documentaries. And I like how some documentaries I've seen don't try to be too much like, almost like you're watching a newscast. Whereas what I liked about this and other documentaries that I think do a good job, in my opinion, they're trying to highlight certain points to make a captivating story and a compelling story. And I think this did that. You didn't know quite what was going to happen at the end unless you've been a Twin Galaxies person all your life, which is the main arcade highlight in King of Kong. But I really liked the dynamics and the pacing of this film. It felt like a movie, but that was about real life making it a documentary. Yeah, does that I, answer your question? Yeah, absolutely it does. I went into this film being inspired by a documentary that you recommended to me, Man vs. Mm-hmm. Snake. Mm-hmm. I mean, I grew up as a child of the 80s, so the arcade classics like Pac-Man, Space Invaders, Donkey Kong, those things were part of my childhood. Oh, totally. Yeah, and well. it wasn't until I got to be an adult that I started finding out about these video game champions. And to me, there's, there are three documentaries that I consider kind of the, the trinity of 80s video game docs. It's this okay. one, uh-huh. it's uh, Man vs. Snake, and then yeah. I think there's Chasing Ghosts Beyond the Arcade that talks about the era of the 80s. I don't know if you've seen that one yet. I have not. Cool. But um, I've, I've seen all three of them. Oh, cool. And my interest in all of them was for the same reasons. I love the look back at the, the 80s video games. And so... Mm-hmm. Seeing Man vs. Snake and seeing kind of how a character interacted with a video game, we got to see kind of an extension of that, mm-hmm. of how a man reacted to a video game in relationship to another person. So there was a yeah. record that needed to be broken, and it was a different way of approaching it. But what was interesting to me was watching this film and seeing it play out like a movie. Like it very much felt like you had different chess pieces of characters. You had heroes, a villain, or I would say protagonist, antagonist, Mm -hmm. supporting characters. And it felt less like, here's information that would be interesting to know and more about, here's a guy you should root for. Here's a guy you should be like, ooh, big bad. (laughs) And then there's Brian Koo, who I really hope we get to talk about him for a few minutes because... (laughs) He's probably the most interesting of any of these people. Well, yeah, um, and I'm actually interested to hear uh, who you think the villain is, uh, because I, I think I have a difference of opinion from probably a lot of people on that topic. But Okay, well, let's, um, let's get into it. Okay, so let's talk about this from an element of storytelling, because that's something that I enjoy about documentaries, is the mm-hmm. way in which a story is told. I mean, documentaries are a form of storytelling, and even among this genre, there's a sense of creative liberty oh i mean there's definitely by rule there's typically not filming scenes setting up you know blocking and things like that it's really Mm -hmm. just showing these people in action but the power of editing i think takes center stage and being able to cut things together to kind of support the message and i think for any documentarian Mm -hmm. there's an agenda Mm -hmm. whatever that agenda is 
positive, negative. Michael Moore is a great example of a documentarian who is living kind of the extreme version of documentaries where he's, yeah. this is my message and I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that message gets across. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's typical with any documentary. Others yeah. feel more unbiased, like Ken Burns. I mean, Ken Burns is going to tell you through baseball, he's going to use photography and interviews, but he's still going to tell that story of the history of the, of the game. Mm-hmm. And so I think these guys did the same thing. But what we get is <laughs> we get heroes and villains. We get antagonists and protagonists. And so to answer your question, I would say the antagonist, I, I would think it is... It's Donkey Kong himself, that big monkey. <laughs> okay. I knew it. Yeah. Always trying to take that girl. What's up with that? I know. He's just... Not he's the same race. He's an abductor, is what or he species, is. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, kidnapper. No, you know, at first I would think it would be, it would be Billy Mitchell, because he's mm-hmm. the one that's being challenged and apparently backing really? off okay. like he's not. But the fact that you said, <laughs> my antagonist would probably be different from most, it makes well, me wonder who you think that might be. So I completely, I completely concede that most people see Billy Mitchell as the antagonist, as the villain in this movie. And I would say I'm in that majority. Yeah. But really, you got Steve Wiebe. I mean, he's, he's this guy who's just trying to take away a record from this champion. It's, it's sad that Billy Mitchell, all he wants to do is hang on to his high score. That's like, he has that in his hot sauce. And now this guy comes. Yeah, I'm completely. And his hair. I don't. And his hair. And his hair. I, I very much think that Steve Wiebe is the protagonist. You're definitely, he's definitely the one you want to root for. Right. Um, I'm just being silly. But I don't think Billy Mitchell is as much of an antagonist in this movie as his cronies are. Mm. I just despise Brian <laughs> and the, that one ref guy who has to sit and watch all the videotapes i forget what his name was i think it was robert maybe so yeah the the lead the lead ref or the, yeah yeah the head exactly the remind me of the name of the person who starred twin galaxies no. oh, that would be um gosh now i can't remember his name either. yeah <laughs> it'll come to us at some point. yeah i thought he was great and i didn't so much see him as a crony as just someone who wanted his arcade to succeed and Billy Mitchell was someone that would help it succeed and wanted the best pretty much for everyone, I thought. But yeah, his crony, Billy Mitchell's cronies, I thought were the real villains in this movie. And I'm not really sure why I felt that way other than their actions seemed to be less human, less as sympathetic, less compassionate, almost like, almost like they were in a video game and Steve was their, was their opponent and they could care less about him. Yeah. So I think that's why. And Billy Billy Mitchell certainly showed some of that. Well, I'm I'm glad that you you brought it around to that because I I think that there's some truth in what you're saying. If we look at it objectively mm-hmm. in terms of the events that took place. Because I was there. I can do that. Yeah, I mean, I was at fun spot too. I don't know if you <laughs> Did you see me in the background? I mean, was, was that the, you? Yeah, I was the one help, helping Brian go. There's a <laughs> there's a, there's a kill <laughs> screen happening in a few minutes. There's a kill screen. Well, that's what he was talking about. I thought he was talking about something else. Okay. That was my nickname at Fun Spot was Kill Screen. (laughs) No, I I can see that. And I think in a lot of ways, this brings up an interesting perspective because in some ways, Steve Wiebe could be the antagonist because at any point he he had the record. Like he had it not once, but twice. Mm -hmm. And he had it according to, quote, the rules. 
he he submitted a video score mm-hmm. complete with his his child saying, "Why my butt? Why my butt?" I felt so bad for him and for the kid in that oh, moment. Oh my word! As, I think yeah, I think you and I both as dads are like. Man, I would feel so terrible submitting that video thinking yeah, I'm a terrible father. Exactly. <laughs> Bring me some toilet paper. <laughs> no. Stop but, playing donkey. <laughs> yeah, really. I mean, where are your priorities, Dad? <laughs> oh. You know, he could be his own antagonist because of the fact that he wanted oh, yeah. nothing more than to to have that. And I think there was a really interesting point. At, it was just after the fun spot incident when Billy submitted his uh, what I call his scribble score, his yeah, videotape. Yeah, nice. That's a nice way to put it. And it and it cuts to him not talking, but it, I think his wife is doing kind of a voiceover, and you see these tears coming down. And so you could tell how much he Steve Steve's wife. Steve, yeah, Steve's wife was talking while while the camera was on him, mm-hmm. and she was saying, you know, you know how much he, you could just tell how much he wanted it. And I also agree. That I don't think Walter Day. That's the Walter. Yeah, Walter. You. I don't think Walter or necessarily. Um, it's actually yeah. It's Robert Merzik or whatever his name. Yeah, we'll call him Robert. Um, he's the head referee. Okay. I don't think those guys necessarily had it out for Steve. I think that they admittedly knew that Billy Mitchell. He was a an icon. And mm-hmm. they weren't out to sabotage in a way that I think a character like Brian Koo was portrayed as doing. I think that they were looking for reasons within the balance of the rules to allow Billy to maintain his record as long as possible. But to that point, and this is something that the documentary never really answered, which really was a frustration of mine, was with the scribble score, Robert even speaks to how you got to look for jumps in the video or, mm-hmm. or visual anomalies uh, because then you can't, uh, you can't submit that score. <laughs> I don't know why I'm giving him that accent. But <laughs> uh, it's more a nasally. Yeah, I can't do that. And the documentary never said whether they, I guess, actually, if you look on Twin Galaxies official site scoring, that, that score was, wasn't contested. So I guess that was an official score. But then why why was it? I, I don't like that they never at least explained, oh, well, we reviewed that tape, and according to how we judge it, it seemed fine. I would, I mean, fine. I would disagree with you there, but I want to at least hear that. Just leaving it sort of as this open-ended item bothered me. Maybe that's something that j- they just had to leave on the cutting room floor, or maybe it's something to make Twin Galaxies and or Billy Mitchell seem even more of the villain. I, mm-hmm. I don't know. And this is where we get into interesting edits and cuts mm. is mm-hmm. what we saw. I think I remember on this viewing, I've seen it several times, but on this viewing, I remember seeing when Walter Day was on the phone with Billy mm-hmm. saying, so you want to submit this as an official score? And the subtitle or typography on the screen said 10 minutes after video was shown. Mm-hmm. So what we're getting is an indication that really Billy has power over guys like Walter yeah, and Robert and I, I think what the doc does successfully early on and throughout the course of its telling is it portrays Billy as someone who has influence, mm-hmm. someone who has the ability to sway. Mm-hmm. And so I think what the storytellers were doing were, I think all those are facts, what we saw, but mm-hmm. they were probably cut together in a way that allowed us to see, you know what, Billy's got some influence. Yeah. And if he says that's an official score, you know, they're not going to go to his house and look at his machine. They're not going to question necessarily the glitchy stuff on the left side of the screen. And 
I think in that regard, he definitely becomes the overarching villain Mm -hmm. because of the fact that he has that influence over guys like Walter. That's an interesting point. I didn't think about it in those terms. But the people that I don't, I think, I won't say held a neutral, they were apathetic or they weren't proactive Mm -hmm. as much as they should, I think were guys like Walter Day and, and Robert, the head referee. I think both of those guys, they were portrayed as having more support and influence towards Billy's perspective than this up-and-coming Steve Wiebe out of Redmond, Washington. But let me let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. Who are you going to listen to more? People that you've spilled blood in the same mud with, so to speak, people that you've had a relationship with over many years, or someone that you don't know from Adam? I mean, I think it makes sense that they would trust Billy having known him for so long and oh, absolutely. worked with him for so long. Absolutely. I, I don't think that necessarily makes it right, but I can see why they would do that. Right. That's what I was getting at. I think we're both saying the same thing that, oh, okay. that, that Walter and the officials look at Billy as saying, look, if you say it's official, if you say that this is, they tend to, <laughs> they tend to kind of sweep little things under the rug that normally would go, you know, they would be scrutinized. Yeah. I mean, like, oh, oh, you say, you, okay, I trust you. You say it's real. Okay, we'll, we'll believe you. Right. I think to, if Steve Wiebe had submitted uh, that same videotape, there oh, would have yeah, been totally. way, way, way more scrutiny. Absolutely. Yeah. But Billy's historical connections with Walter, with Steve Sanders, when you're an icon, I mean, when you were the Pac-Man King, I mean, he, I mean, he has, that's something else I wanted to talk about was the status that mm-hmm. these these guys had, in particular Billy, but also you know Steve Sanders. He was a if you looked in the uh, officially the third tournament where it was for the Guinness record, mm-hmm. you see other names around for different uh, for different games, and, and mm-hmm. Steve Sanders is actually like the world record holder for for Joust, I think it is. Oh, okay, and I so there's that. so when we look at a story like this, we see that you know Billy's the king when it comes to like video game world records at least from the Mm -hmm. 80s Mm -hmm. and so he's the one that came out of that but there were also others that were very iconic steve sanders included Mm -hmm. and so what i thought was interesting was that we got this look at a handful of people from that era that made a name for themselves even though of course billy was the was number one guy but i think that what we see is uh, a multitude of characters that came out of this this film that kind of told us more about the importance of video games. Like from the very beginning, Mm, we get mm. these kind of, I say this because I am one, uh, (laughs) these, these nerdy looking dudes who are like, (laughs) (laughs) who are, well, they're the stereotypical looking nerds. You know, they got the glasses. I have all these videos to review (laughs) over here and I just watch them all day. That's what I do. But that's not what? To this I'll get that accent eventually. I'll keep <laughs> workshopping it here. But even guys like Brian Koo, who I remember specifically him saying, I don't think it said how old he was. I think he was in his 30s. Mm-hmm. But it said, I just retired. I moved out here at a fun yeah, spot. What is that about? And I'm, I'm going to uh, I'm gonna go in. I'm going to have some pancakes. I'm going to have a lot of... Uh, you know, ten pieces of bacon. I'm gonna have eight uh, eight eggs, and then I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go play some. Uh, uh, uh. He sounded like a if Jeff Goldblum had a son. Oh. <laughs> uh, that's that's who he sounded like. You know what? I'm not a doctor or a psychologist or a psychiatrist or anyone who can say, oh, you have this condition or anything. But you know what? Just us talking a little bit about Brian. I wonder if he has some sort of form of autism or Asperger's or something like that, because he seems like emotionally detached, but still very engaged and very like focused on what he wants. 
I, I have no idea if those are telltale signs of different levels of autism. I feel like what from what I've heard they are. But but something about his personality really bothers me. And I just I don't like how he seems to be so almost like he's completely disconnected from he says how he wanted to be the the next one to get a kill screen. And then at least how the documentary shoots it. He sound, he sounds like he's really upset, but maybe he's either not showing it because he doesn't want to look weak or something on camera. But there's just this disconnect of like he wanted this thing really badly and he wanted to be Billy's protege. And OK, that's fine. I don't get it, but OK, that's great. But then it's almost like he's very passive aggressive towards Steve Wiebe. And as a passive aggressive person myself, I should know uh, what that looks like. <laughs> that makes three of us. <laughs> And even though I am that, I hate that about myself. So I don't like seeing it in other people. And so all those quirks about him made him almost, I, I wanted to call him the villain, at least if, if this is just my own experience of watching the movie. And this is my only time watching the movie. And for the viewings, maybe I'll see Billy as more of the villain. But I, I really dislike Brian, especially for what him and another Twin Galaxies referee do in terms of, I'm going to call it for what is breaking in to Steve Wiebe's home look at the arcade machine my goodness well, okay. i went off on a on a complete uh railroad there thatch excuse <laughs> okay. me that's okay well let me bring it back around because okay. you you made some really good points first of all i think brian Koo represents what we kind of get at the beginning of the movie we get a glimpse of people who love gaming Mm-hmm. And we have one guy who yeah, talks I about am. how gaming's been around for years everybody mm-hmm. games you know whether it's mm-hmm. cards chess and then we get an excellent an, point, by the way. Yes. And then we get another person that says, you know, I don't smoke. I don't drink. I don't do drugs. I play video games. Oh, that's, yeah, that's yeah, a fr- yeah. And these are people that this is who I was in junior high and high school. I mean, uh-huh. like, I, I surrounded myself with people because video games have this just like just like any passion that you have, whether it's podcasting or filmmaking or reading or, you know, whatever. Every passion has this what I would call a an outlier group of people that it's a dedication. And the mm. film sets this up really nicely because Billy says at the beginning that competitive gaming is different than just your at home casual gaming. Yeah. You know, games are meant to be played for fun. And he goes, and believe me, some of them can be lots of fun. You know, <laughs> you creepy, <laughs> creepy dude. But, but he makes a great point. He says competitive gaming is at another level. Yeah. You have to have a certain kind of skill, you know, even up till tonight, you and I, we, you know, you know, we've been playing the uh, the Google Pac-Man game. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> I was wondering when this was going to come out. <laughs> I'm not going to You're the best at it. I no get it, Patch. Nothing's going to ever keep you going. <laughs> <laughs> but even as I was playing this, you know, we had this little miniature competition saying, hey, okay, who can get the high score, you know, kind of in being inspired by the film. Mm-hmm. And I found myself, as I was playing it, being like, oh, you know, and kind of getting a little bit more amped about it. Like, I, I caught myself saying, okay, I can take 15 minutes here and play this. Mm-hmm. And not that those 15 minutes or the little bit that I was playing, quote, competitively made me an uber gamer, mm-hmm. but I get that. And so I think Brian Koo represents that combined with his almost undying devotion to Billy Mitchell. Mm-hmm. The film talks about how they are very close and we see countless times where he's really more of the sidekick crony, mm-hmm. you know, giving Billy the, the updates. Like he's about to, you know, he's about to do this and all mm-hmm. this stuff. And later on when Billy is showing his, his video footage, he's like, 
you know, everybody's watching. Nobody, you know, the whole room is quiet. The whole, there's nobody else is going to deny that. You know, he, it's, you almost can't script this stuff. It's, <laughs> it's, Brian Koo represents an extreme version of what it means to be loyal to someone. Yeah. And I mm-hmm. think there's, I mean, there's value in that, but I think documentaries like this and even like Man vs. Snake to an extent, we get to see a sense of the passion step into kind of the outlier world. Yeah. Because I love podcasting, but if you told me that it was, it's affecting my marriage or it's affecting my day to day, whereas mm-hmm. I was skipping work to go down to the local fun spot to, podcast to to part you know or to yeah if i was <laughs> all i was doing was in my downtime yeah you know as much as i i could or couldn't if i was ignoring time with my family or i was ignoring my my work responsibilities that gets to be that's that's a dangerous place and yeah, i think I mean, that that brian kind of represents that he represents a, i mean there's a reason probably why they kept it in kept in the line that he said yeah i retired and now i'm moving here to be close to becoming, you know, so I could be a better Donkey Kong player. Yeah. And it's interesting because it's almost like, I I don't know if you would label what they have as an addiction. I mean, kind of how you're describing it sounded like addiction uh, classifiers, but they didn't, none of them seemed, it's hard to tell, but they didn't seem, or they weren't portrayed to be addicted to video games. I don't but, know that it. I don't know that it was an addiction necessarily because I'm just I'm just saying the way you were talking about it, it sounded yeah. like that. Not that you were meaning that. It's just interesting how how when you're so focused on a goal mm-hmm. to the detriment of everything else, it can kind of it has sim, it has similarities. That's well, and, all and, and that about. and that concept exists in Steve Weeby's life too. I mean, Absolutely, yes. He even admitted that him going to Fun Spot was going to be straining on his wife and what two kids I think I believe two kids yeah yeah but what's weird is I didn't see him as being obsessive I didn't see him as having a problem well and I think that's what's interesting about the film is that it mm-hmm. it puts because he's the protagonist he's kind of been set up to be like the the guy you want to root for yeah he's he the make, underdog of course he, yeah. he makes he makes similar decisions I'll be he doesn't retire from something <laughs> um but but he does give up what would we would consider as kind of logical things for the sake of something that seems kind of illogical. It's, it's a number. Mm-hmm. It's one point higher that you're shooting for. However, that's a very real thing, you know, mm-hmm. having, holding a world record, hold, you know, being known as the guy mm-hmm. that did this, you know, and he still ha- holds the record for the highest live score from oh, yeah, Spot, yeah. even, yeah, yeah. even after his, his score has been surpassed and Billy Mitchell's score has been surpassed. Mm-hmm. And he's, I think he's still like the second or third guy to hit the kill screen that's coming up in a minute. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I think in a lot of ways, what the film does successfully is it portrays that idea of, of passion and I would say obsession in the most positive sense. Yeah. But we get it from two different perspectives. We get it from, mm-hmm. from a guy like Brian Koo that we see as quote unhealthy, mm-hmm. but it's almost, it's, it's a similar thing with Steve Weeby. I mean, he is making three trips to take time away from his family that apparently he values deeply. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot to be said about what his, you know, his wife in particular supporting him and wanting that for him. I think that was, that says a lot about how dedicated they, they were to, to his cause as well. And I actually, speaking to, to this, I thought it was really interesting that his wife says, I'm going to paraphrase this in quite the quote, 
but something to the effect of being number one is is a big deal to Steve. And I, I saw, I mean, I continue watching the movie, but I, I reflected on that a bit and thinking, is it is it really that important to be the best at something? And if we give if we give ourselves to this idea that I just got to be the best at this, is that really the, is that a good way to live your life? I don't know. Maybe for some people, not for me. I, I don't think that's to aspire to be the best at something. I think that's something Olympi- Olympians have to be. So mm-hmm. you, you have to have, maybe it's a personality type, maybe it's something else. But I think that your life is more than your goal. Cause you're going to reach mm-hmm. your goal eventually. Probably. Maybe. Right. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I will not hit that number on, on Donkey Kong. The eight, eight, eight. <laughs> All right. Well, you have goals. You will meet you will sure. meet some of your goals if all your life is meeting that goal. Like the very awesome Princess Bride when Nigo Montoya gets to the end and he says, mm-hmm. I've been in the Revenge of Resistance so long. Now that it's over, I don't know what to do. And though you may consider piracy, uh I <laughs> you <laughs> That's not a bad idea. <laughs> the the idea is that there's always something more unless you happen to die right after you meet your goal. Right. <laughs> there, there's going to be other things. So to just put your whole life and all your meaning into this one thing seems like an empty promise, I guess mm-hmm. is how I'd put it. Yeah. Movies like this and even Man vs. Snake, I think I had a similar reaction to it. Mm-hmm. Of, yes. Of feeling kind of this dual response of, I'm really glad that these guys achieved what they did, but what's left yeah you know what what's next and as someone who loves goals i love to-do lists i love being able to check stuff off Mm -hmm. i understand um from my own personal success or whatever you want to call it goals are short-term mastery Mm -hmm. i think is a long-term thing Mm -hmm. Um, there was a book i read it's called drive the truth about what motivates us and it's about what the author calls intrinsic motivation as opposed to the carrot and stick motivation. So mm, mm-hmm. the idea that I work a job in order to get a paycheck. And if I do my job well enough, I get a raise mm-hmm. and that raise will give me more responsibilities. If I do well in those responsibilities, I then get, get paid. Raise. Yeah. And, and then, so yeah. it's, but what if I actually love my job? What if I had this internal reason for going to work and finding passion in the things that I do? Mm-hmm. And the author talks about the fact that these things really keep us going. Mm. And then you couple that with another idea of instead of creating goals, you create systems. So, you know, take losing weight, for instance, Mm -hmm. if I want to lose 30 pounds, my goal shouldn't be to lose. My goal might be to lose 30 pounds, but my system that I put in place is to exercise every day to do something for half an hour or an hour, or to make sure that I'm eating some vegetables at least once every meal or something like that. Mm -hmm. Those aren't goals. Those are systems because those things eventually become character traits. And I think in the world of video games, I'm going to refer back to Man vs. Snake for just a minute. We have we have another player who who set a record for uh, the Nibbler score across the continent you know, in Italy or something like that. Oh yes, yes, yes. And we see this great contrast between him and our main character in the story, and how their lives have clearly become different yeah. since playing, and how he has taken it upon himself to live his life in in more of a long term. I want to do what I enjoy, and this is what I enjoy type thing. Whereas our main character is, at least he's presented as someone who's just, he's living, playing video games and, and that's kind of his world. And that's fine. I mean, if, if that's what makes you happy, if that's what 
fulfills you, then fantastic. But uh, when you get into being a record breaker or being the number one person, at some point your record's going to be broken. Mm-hmm. Or yeah, and- there's a possibility of that. And so if that's what your end goal is, there's always going to be the risk of losing that. So what's the enjoyment factor at that point? Well, and it's like the, the Italian guy in Man vs. Snake. It's, I think you're speaking to this just now that he had other things to go with his life. It wasn't just like, oh, Nibbler, now that's my life. And I got to always make sure I'm number one at Nibbler. He went to other, pursued other interests and grew as a person in other ways. And I think that's, that's what we all have to do. We all have to find different areas of growth, whether it's growing in your marriage or growing in, maybe it is growing in being the best Nibbler player and, or getting the kill screen in Donkey Kong. But I think when you lose yourself to just one thing, like that one worldly thing, I guess I'll say, then you lose yourself. That's true. Anytime you give yourself a goal that has a limit, that has mm-hmm. an end, you run the risk of, of becoming demotivated, what, whatever that goal is. I mean, I could aspire to be the next great uh, pancake maker or whatever. Ooh. I will help you in that pursuit <laughs> by being the next great pancake uh, <laughs> tester. It's going to yes. be the next reality show, the next great pancake maker. <laughs> no fluff in this show. Uh, no. My wife and I were watching, it was a segment on a show called CBS Sunday Morning. It's like an on, like a montage of different segments of things that are happening in the world. And there's a, the Culinary Institute of America, or aptly named the Other CIA, and Gosh. and the segment was talking about the history of it, the history of the Culinary Institute, and how it started out as really more of a, a vocational school for GIs that were coming home from the war, which is fantastic. But how it's turned into this institute, this that if you want to be a chef, you go to this place. And I was like, wow. And my wife was like, you want to do that, don't you? I'm like, yeah, that would be fantastic. How else am I going to make the best pancakes? <laughs> exactly. But if I dropped everything right now and I pursued that and I graduated, the thought in my head would be, well, what's next? <laughs> well, now you got to get a job. <laughs> and so there's nothing wrong with goals. There's nothing wrong with having these end states of things. I, I think that what both this doc and other docs help visualize is that the journey is just as fun, just as adventurous. Heartbreaking. Uh, heartbreaking. Yeah. And I think that there should be some positive light shed on the fact that the journey is just as valuable as the destination. Let me ask you this. Do you think that any of these characters, and again, I'm going to call them characters because the way this story was told, it felt like that. Do you think that there was redemption? Do you think that there was a a, a a character arc for any of these guys? Do you think that there was a change in them, any of these guys? Or do you think that they learned anything from going through this experience? I think, well, I think the movie sort of sets up Steve Wiebe to be the main one who, who learns by the end. I think it really did help that Walter Day said how, you know what, you, you've done something really amazing here. We're willing to, to take any video you send us, keep up what you're doing. It's, uh, it's really great. Uh, you should be proud of yourself. I think that really spoke to his spirit, which was, Really cool to see him grow in that way. You talking uh, about Walter also, or Steve? Steve. Okay. I also think uh, the other Steve, Steve Sanders, and that's the the lawyer, right? For right. That's his. That's yeah. That's Billy Mitchell's Billy's friend. good friend. Yeah. I I almost want to say he's the protagonist because I love how 
he starts off like cheating and then Billy gets him to admit it and he becomes better for it. Mm-hmm. And then he he's on Billy's side. He's like Billy's friend. But he's like, hey, Billy, this this guy's cool. He, I mean, he's nice and everything. And he's encouraging Steve Weeby and mm-hmm. and um, almost championing him to Billy, who doesn't want any of it, which is very frustrating. Yeah. But I, I, I loved I wanted to see more of him and I, I want to see his story because he seems like a cool dude. Uh, so that- well, you can you can catch some of that on Chasing Ghosts Beyond the Arcade, a documentary <laughs> about that. <laughs> Thank well, you. you. Yeah, you, plug. <laughs> shameless plug. <laughs> I definitely saw some character arcs and mm. some redemptive qualities, not just from from Steve Wiebe. I mean, I think he got what he wanted, the mm-hmm. recognition and the respect. Mm-hmm. But I think Walter, in a lot of ways, grew. Oh, yes, yes. Because of the fact, I mean, when when a guy at the very beginning of this film talks about rules and the need that you know you have to go by the certain set of criteria and you see in the middle of the dock accepting the scribble score from from Billy and then you see at the end and I don't think these I don't think these things were I think these were intentional cuts I think these were intentional scenes to kind of show this about Walter at the end when he said any score you submit is going to be considered valid I think that that says a lot about how Walter felt after after Weeby had finished his last game at the the world record tournament, he said, "You've done a fantastic job." I don't know if he said that he's proud of him, but it felt like he was just affirming the fact that here's a guy who was passionate, who wanted this, and the fact that he wanted it was being recognized. You know, it's one thing to be recognized for actually accomplishing what you did, you know, a, a world record or whatever. It's another thing to be recognized for going on this journey. Because it's almost as if Walter was saying, I know what you went through. I saw how much you sacrificed. I saw how much you, you took away from time with your family. And That's, and, that's really so, interesting. I didn't, I didn't sort of pick up on that. But you're absolutely right that his affirming attitude and not just affirming, oh, this was a good score. But yeah, this was, you made sacrifices and they were worth it, at least in his eyes. I, I think that was... That was really cool to see yeah. that. Yeah. And just like you mentioned, Steve Sanders is another character who at one point, here's the interesting thing, both Steve and Walter, the moments that I feel like they have officially changed coincide with getting his last name correct because they were, they kept referring to him as Steve oh, Weeb. Oh, yeah. And Steve Sanders, you hear him at one point, he's watching Steve Weeby play and he goes, is it, is it Weeb or Weeby? Uh-huh, and uh-huh. he corrects him and he says, yeah, Steve Weeby is who I wanted to be growing up. And, yeah, yeah. And then later on, you have Walter who, and I believe it's Steve Sanders who corrects him. He says, Walter, his last name is Weeby, not Weeb. Oh, I, I thought it was Steve Weeby that said it's... It, it may have I'm, been. I, yeah. we, don't, we don't really get a indication. It was clear. Steve. Regardless, it was, it Steve. was Steve. Steve said it. So we yeah, can be... We yeah. can be <laughs> but you contrast that with who I feel like didn't change, Brian Koo, and he would yeah. always refer to him as Weeb, 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 Weeb. Yeah, yeah. And there's a really interesting scene with, with Billy and Steve Sanders. He's be, I guess he's being interviewed by the, you know, the documentarian. I, I don't know what the leading question is, but Steve Sanders basically says, yeah, I, I've, I've, I've talked to him, I've talked with his family, I've gotten to know him better, and he gives him significant. He says, you're a, 
you know, he's a class guy. He's the real deal. He's genuine. There's no way I could see him as someone who cheats to try to, like, I think he genuinely, when he plays, he plays without cheating, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. without any, and then it cuts to, <laughs> cuts to Billy and he goes, I can't really comment on that. I don't know much about that. I mean, it's yeah. this incredible contrast of showing a human versus an Android, basically, when it comes <laughs> to how they approach this thing. Only an android could make such amazing hot sauce. <laughs> and have amazing hair like that, right? Yeah. <laughs> Who do you think didn't change, though? Do you think anyone was... I mean, you said Brian. Do you, I, I guess I'm leading the question. I'm leading the witness a little bit. Did, <laughs> did you feel like Billy changed at all is what I really care about? I don't know that he had an opportunity to. Mm-hmm. Or maybe he had an opportunity, but he chose not to. Because the mm-hmm. big thing that he was revered revered reviled reviled that's probably the that he was given it's infamous it's infamous (laughs) that's a five peso word there Uh, (laughs) (laughs) i think of I, i think he was portrayed as someone who didn't want to challenge in a way I, I think that he took the easy way out as far as the doc portraying him yeah the way that i think he he could have come down to, and it was, I mean, it was reiterated several times. He could have come down and competed one-on-one, one on, you know, all this stuff. And even Steve Sanders said, well, he's just not prepared, which is a legitimate thing, you know, yeah. if, but in the defense of Steve Weeby's wife, she said, well, he could have, he knew about this. Here's the thing. If, if you're at the top of a competitive sport, like boxing, I think is, is something where this probably is a common thing. Oh, this is the whole problem with like Apollo Creed and Rocky. You're at the whoa, top. Whoa, 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 Dude, whoa. What you're, if you're going to say, okay, whoa. We may have not, to edit. Rocky is do good. Not, do not I, say that. Rocky is a great movie. <laughs> I'm not saying anything about the quality of the movie Rocky. Do, don't put the word problem when referring to Rocky. <laughs> don't, don't use that. Go ahead. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Uh, but Apollo Creed, really, he should have never challenged Rocky. He has everything to lose, and Rocky has everything to gain. There's If you're at the top, I mean, Steve's wife and Steve said, he could just, why not just play me face to face? Why would Billy play you face to face? He's, he has the highest score. There's no reason for him to play you man versus man. I, I, I don't understand why there's this drive like, well, he should just, he should just do it to show that he has what it takes. Why? Why is that something he has to do? He's already proven himself by some having this, this high score or whatever it is. There, it's not a two player versus game so i i don't know why there's i understand you want to it's almost like you you want to you don't want to be in competition with but almost like this this other entity that is unknown that you is almost like too big to to thwart i i i don't know i'm i'm all these mental pictures are coming to me but they're not i'm not describing them very well it's almost like facing the unknown in a way right. because you right. don't know who that is. And if you if he was there right next to you, it's like, oh, okay, this is just another man, just another person, uh, and we're just playing this game. So I understand the 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 desire, but I also don't think it's fair to say. Well, I think the the documentarians try to t- try to frame it in a way, even using Billy's own words against him toward the end, where he says something to the effect of, "Well, if you're going to play, you should always just be ready to play because you never know when it's going to happen." And I think he wasn't ready because he couldn't. He knew he could always pull out the scribble score videotape. That's right. probably why he felt like he could just like chillax 
for the rest of his <laughs> years and swimming hot sauce. Yeah. I understand that that want to go face to face with someone, but it's it's not I don't think that's that's necessarily a fair thing to want. If you're at the top, you have to go rise to that challenge. There's no reason that the top person has to bring themselves down. If they want to extend that grace, awesome, but they shouldn't be portrayed as a villain just because they won't. So I agree with everything you just said, except except nothing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really do. I think I think you you spoken to a lot of what what I agree with that Billy wasn't going around looking for the fight. He wasn't. Mm-hmm. He's portrayed, and maybe this is his personality as being mm. he's the man. Yeah, he's the he video game. He is very egotistical in how he's portrayed. And so that can be very provocative. It can be something that that idea I'm like even after watching this, I was like, I'm gonna take down Donkey Kong then. I'm gonna you know, whatever. <laughs> show you Billy Mitchell. I'm gonna show you Billy and all your nice hair and your great <laughs> facial whatever and your USA ties, whatever. Um America. but I, I think you're exactly right. If if I'm on top of the world, I think I should have enough clout to be able to say if somebody beats me they deserve it. They deserve mm-hmm. that because I set that record. And then if I want to compete again, I will do that. Here's where I think the argument kind of falls a little bit is the fact mm. that not an hour after Brian sets the live score, Billy comes in and says, I had this all the time. I'm going to show it to you. To me, that felt like a cheat because that said to me, it said, Billy goes, you mean after t- Steve set the high school? I'm sorry. Did I say Brian? I meant Steve. I, sorry. Brian would never get there. Because <laughs> according to him, he only right, got 200,000. <laughs> but yeah, after, after Steve set the record, not an hour later, after being informed by, by Brian, he brings out this tape that he had already had in his pocket. I mean, we already see early on that he's, he's already going to defend it in this kind of what I consider a cheap way. Mm-hmm. And so to me, that's where I think his villain comes out. At this point, he is now the provocateur. He's the one that's saying, look, I can still do this. And so for me, I look at him at that point and I go, no, that's not cool. Is that villainous or is that highly strategic? Well, I think it's a little bit of both. (laughs) I mean, because if you're, okay, in a race, if you're in front the other people, the, the people behind you, actually, I don't know if it's probably a psychological thing that you're more inclined to go faster if you're chasing something than if you're out in front being chased. True. And so if if Billy had this score and people are trying to get to it, then that's what they're pursuing. So for him to have this other score in place to be like, ah, you didn't really get me. Ah, ah ha, ha, try again. <laughs> jerk. He's a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that. I can see how that's a jerk move, but I also think that's, that's something you would want to do. I, I, I think I would want to do that. Be, if, if I care so much about being on top, mm-hmm. I don't think I, I would hope that I wouldn't care that much. But if that's my I am Billy Mitchell Donkey Kong champion. That's your secret weapon. That's, right that's there. on my yeah. I gotta have I gotta have that in the bag because I gotta know someone's gonna try to beat it. Yeah, and so I don't want my highest score to be out there because someone will go for that. Right. Well, two thoughts I had regarding that. I I, I can definitely see that, and I think at, at the Good. very we can be done with that discussion. I can be right, and we can go. <laughs> no, go ahead. <laughs> and your goal has been complete. So now, <laughs> now your life is meaningless, right? <laughs> 
I think that I, I think that two thoughts related to that, but not to this particular point, came mm-hmm. out. What if Steve hit the hit the kill screen? Uh, it's happening in a few minutes. Um, what if he? What if he? What if he had gotten to that point, having you know broken Billy's record from his scribble score? I thought that yeah. would have been interesting. And also, I would have loved to have seen that. That would be amazing. And also, in in some weird way, I think that Billy has some prodigy stored somewhere that actually played the game for him. Oh, really? <laughs> well, because again, we don't we don't see Billy playing the game. Now he, yeah. we, we may hear some audio saying, "This is me," you know, Billy Mitchell playing. But um, you know, I'm almost wondering again. I don't know how long they actually watched the tape, but it it would take a while to get that many points, right? Yeah, I mean, they'd, at least they'd a couple watching. hours, if not more, yeah. So were they watching, like, the last 10 minutes of that, which makes it even sketchier? <laughs> so. Oh, yeah, because it's night by that time. If they're watching, let's say it's four hours, let's say it's something like that, Okay. then they would be, fun stuff wouldn't stay open for that, I don't think. And It would for Walter. It would right, for Walter. Fine, <laughs> and for Brian. It would definitely for Brian. Oh Brian has a cot right behind like the <laughs> Donkey Kong machine. Of course he does. He's retired there. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> but in, in line with that, I mean, it just, it, it's some, some interesting things to wonder as we're, as we're finishing up the discussion, were there any things that like, were there any like come on moments, things that stood out to you that you either laughed out loud or you're like, I can't believe that Oh, uh, well, particular scenes. <laughs> I mean, okay. Two things. Can I say, share two things that really, Ground my gears slash made my blood boil. Yeah, we'll call this the blood boiling section here. Okay, and I'm sorry, this isn't very this isn't very nice feels. These aren't the positive feels. These are the negative feels. I apologize to all. We're feeling. We're feeling. I know, but no, you guys try like you try to defend Suicide Squad. I don't get it, but whatever. Um, (laughs) Oh um, man, you're crazy. Yeah, (laughs) but the one thing that really bothered me was when Brian and the other Twin Galaxies ref, and I, I alluded to this earlier, when they went into Steve Weeby's, Steve Weeby's home, I mean, his wife yeah. said, I, I, my mom's here, you, but I don't want you here. I want you to come back. I assume they talked the mom into letting them in. I, I wish the documentary sort of illuminated that a little bit more, but they got in somehow. And I was talking to a friend of mine who's a lawyer, uh, Diego Avila, uh, find him at a Latino lawyer. And him and I discussed this. This is not official legal advice. Do not take it as so. But I want to say thank you to Diego for uh, sort of help, helping me nail these down. I, I was trying to think, okay, what would I charge these guys with? Would it be, uh, it wouldn't be burglary. It wouldn't be really like, kidnapping of a, right? of a chipboard. Or, what? It wouldn't be like breaking and entering, right? Well, okay. So here's what we sort of landed on. It would be trespassing. It would be destruction of property because hmm. if you tamper with something that's worth over $1,000, that's considered destruction of property. And I eBayed searched Donkey Kong arcade machines. Several of them are well over $1,000. <laughs> so we got that. <laughs> Throw the book at these guys. And also, uh, there's one more thing. Uh, vandalism, I think, was the last thing. Mm-hmm. So I just, I wish, I don't know why the Weebies did not press charges. because, And you might say, well... The mom let him in, right? But the mom is not the homeowner. And I, I thought that too. And the way Diego phrased it, it sounded like only the homeowner can give true admittance or entry into the home. So that really bothered me that the Weebies didn't press charges. Or n- it seemed like there were no repercussions for Brian and the other guy. Yeah. <clears throat> then the other thing that really irked me 
was as much as I'm, I'm, I've been kind of a defender of Billy Mitchell in this episode. When he comes in to the, it wasn't Fun Stop. It is the ar- the other arcade that Steve Weeby goes to toward the end of the documentary? It looked like a car dealership. Actually, I don't know what it was. was it? Yeah, it, looked, it, it might was. as well have been that. Like, like a like a showroom. Yeah. And then Billy's there with his wife, and they they're like walking around, and I kind of get the sense that they're going to at least say something. But they just pass way behind him, and you hear him say something to the effect of, oh, well, I don't want to associate with some. you got to watch out for some of the people in here. You don't mm-hmm. want to have anything to do with them. I thought that was such a freaking jerk move. I hated that <laughs> so much. I mean, dude, at least be like, oh, hey, Billy Mitchell, uh, good luck or something. I mean, just just some common decency. We're all human here. But no. Oh, that really bothered me. That's interesting that you say that because that point bothered me too. And Uh so I actually read about it. There was an article that was, I can't remember. I think it was like Variety or somebody. I'll actually, if I can find it, I'll send it to you. But there's an article that addresses that. And it actually interviews both the documentarian and Billy Mitchell. Uh And Billy sort of lays out what, (laughs) he's very cryptic, which kind of gives his takes away some credibility. Yeah. But he defends the the cut. The actual if you watch if you watch it again, mm-hmm. you'll see that there's clearly a camera cut between when Steve Weeby says, Hey Billy, and when he walks away. Okay, yeah. So there is the possibility that there was a conversation and that line by Billy was actually taken out of context and he kind of uh... explains that. So I'll send that to you because it's really interesting to read. Okay. Yeah. Um, But that did bother me at first when I saw that the first time. I was like, dude, jerk, what are you doing? Play Donkey Kong. (laughs) I wouldn't go that far, but at least say hi. Yeah, say, yeah. Yeah. If there was one part of this documentary that I found overly entertaining Mm -hmm. (laughs) was the whole Roy Schilt stuff, Mr. Awesome, the Missile Command dude. (laughs) Jeez, that guy does himself no favors. He really doesn't. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) But not just, I mean, not only him, but the whole, like, restraining order, the whole, like, yeah. you know, he he got my missile command score taken down, and <laughs> I, I don't even remember how it went down, but the whole just bit just felt very much like a like a, a really badly written comedy. Yeah. Um, and knowing that this is kind of real life stuff makes me kind of cringe even more, but it may not have been intended this way, but I thought it added some nice levity. To the mm-hmm. <laughs> to the story, yeah. and I think it created a little bit of drama because it it sort of created some theatric justification for Steve to go to Fun Spot at that point, you yeah. know. Because if if we had left it at they broke into his house, they they found out he had an altered board, that would have been like, well, whatever. But the fact that you included Roy Shield, who had history with Billy, created more drama. So I thought oh, that was kind yeah. of, Good I thought point. that for theatrical reason, I thought that was. A nice little addition, albeit more mm-hmm. hilarious than dramatic. But uh, <laughs> definitely. But um, I, I thought the music, the choice of music, not only uh, Steve Weeby's piano playing. I thought that was kind of cool. I thought, yes. Yeah. I don't know if he actually wrote that. Oh, uh, that was a nice little piano piece that he wrote. Plus, mm. you're the best around. <laughs> Just little transition that, pieces. That's always good to have in a movie. It always is. It makes it makes mm-hmm. me motivated. I, mean, I really I want to play that. Sweet <laughs> Put him in a body bag, yeah. You're all right. <laughs> well, I think that about wraps it up. Unless you have anything else that you want to uh, 
to bring up. <laughs> well, I, I would like to end on a bit of a positivity. I I definitely enjoyed watching this movie. I almost wish I had seen this movie before I had seen Man vs. Snake because mm -hmm. Billy Mitchell certainly is in a much different light in Man vs. Snake than he is in this. He's very sympathetic. Very yeah. sympathetic. And I feel like you see some of that in how he treats that one older lady that yes. unfortunately died, the Qbert player. I forget mm -hmm. her name. But I, I liked seeing, I wish he had had that compassion for all the people he met. And it seemed like his fans, he certainly has that for. So I, I, I'm glad that he did have some humanity. It wasn't like he was an actual android. But uh, <laughs> I definitely, it was a fun experience. Thank you so much for uh, inviting me to talk about this, Patch. It was, it was a really fun movie to watch. I'm, and I'm glad now I understand when people say there's kill screen coming up in two minutes or a few minutes. I know what they're talking about. <laughs> Brian Koo is my hero for that reason alone. <laughs> that might be the only reason. But... Uh, well, Francisco, enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure he's listening in his retired yeah, yeah, totally. mansion at Fun Spot. <laughs> well, Surrounded by Donkey Kong machines. Gosh, just bizarre. What? Um, okay, <laughs> so wow. that being said, I'm really glad you came on to the show for this conversation. Uh, documentaries, too. again, like I mentioned, held a special place in my heart, and I'm hoping to be able to do more of these. I think this is a great spot to be able to uh, to discuss them and mm -hmm. talk about some of the emotional takeaways and just the things that, that we pulled out, and you're a fantastic guest to to, to kind of prototype this, so this Why, is a lot of fun. thank you. You're a fantastic host to prototype this. Yay! <laughs> winner, winner, chicken dinner. <laughs> um, if there's anything about this episode that you guys listening want to continue the conversation with, you can find me at Shoeless Patch, S-H-O-E-L-E-S-S-P-A-T-C-H. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can find me at any of those places uh, just to keep the dialogue going. Um, you can also find out more of my thoughts on other films from our main feed, uh, Feelin' Film. We're at Feelin' Film on Twitter. You can find all this stuff at feelinfilm.com, past episodes, good writing, and lots of good thoughts. Francisco, what about you? Where can people find you on the web? Uh, so you can find my personal stuff. Uh, I'm at FXRUIZX, uh, most places, Twitter, Instagram. And you can find my show again at RetroRewindPodcast.com. Uh, our last episode we did was on The Emperor's New Groove. So uh, boom, baby, listen to that one. <laughs> uh, but yeah. I want to say again, Patch, thanks so much for having me on the show. And uh, I look forward to doing this again. Glad to have you on, Francisco. And we'll talk to you soon. Awesome.